as you guessed, we're going to be continuing in a series that we started last weekend entitled Don't Be a Grinch. Don't be a Grinch. And what we're doing is we're having some fun. We're drawing some parallels between the Grinch and people who were losing out on the significance of Christ in their life at his birth. They were missing out on what God was trying to convey to all mankind. And if you follow the story of the Grinch, right, what's interesting is that the Grinch had a serious problem. Get this. He hated Christmas. He hated everything about Christmas. He hated the joy in Christmas, right? He hated the idea of goodwill amongst all in Whoville. But most of all, he hated the idea of gift giving. He hated receiving. And we got a question, why? Why would somebody hate that? And if you follow his story, what you'll see is that, as we saw last week, he had two, a heart that was two sizes too small. Now, I get it. For many of us, we, we'd be of the opinion, I'm not a Grinch, right? I celebrate people's joy. I believe in goodwill amongst all, right? I love giving. I mean, I love receiving, right? But let's talk about this. I submit to you that many of us, right, for some of us, while we believe in joy for all people, while we believe, you know, in the idea of goodwill among all, while we believe in the idea of giving and receiving gifts, for some of us, we're actually more like the Grinch than we think. Let me tell you why. Because the Grinch was a lonely creature for a reason. He hated Christmas for a reason. It's because he didn't know how to receive. And let me tell you why I share that with you and why I say that for some of us, we're more like the Grinch than we think because we stop the blessing of God. We stop the plan of God in our own lives. We self-sabotage, right? And you might think, well, how do we do that? Well, sometimes we do it by the way we think, right? We do it by bad habits that create roadblocks in our own lives. We do it by uh, different things that rob us of, of, of truth and of joy and of family, right? And of connection amongst his people. And the danger in this is that not only are we robbing ourselves, friends, we're the thief. We're the thief. And today I want to talk to you from the heart of God. I want to encourage you to lean in with me to God's word. Let's consider what the scriptures have to say as we talk on today's topic, what to do when the thief is you. What do you do when you're the one stopping the hand of God? What do you do when you're the one with the stinking thinking, right, messing up your life? What do you do when God is present, but you treat him like he's absent? What do, what do we do when we're the ones who are uh, stuck in a muck, we, we're simmering in our own anger, our own discord, our own hurt, and we're stopping the blessing and the power of God's healing in our own life? See, there were many in the day of Jesus when he was born that could not conceive because they could not believe and therefore they could not receive the good news of God. The message was this, I've come to establish peace with all men. I've come to introduce my kingdom. I've come to give you an entirely new life. You know, in the scriptures, there's a man who was much like the Grinch. His name was Zechariah. And this guy, Zechariah, was a man who was in the line of Israel's priests. He wasn't just a priest, just any priest. Zechariah was a 
high priest. In other words, Zechariah was one of the few chosen that had the ability in those days to step into what was known as the Holy of Holies. It was the holiest place in the temple. It is where it was believed that you presented offerings of incense and prayers that directly connected to God. So this guy, Zechariah, was a big deal in Israel. And the way it worked in those days, uh, the high priests, there were many high priests, uh, a few chosen select, but there were, there were quite a few of them. But the way that they actually got the opportunity to step into the Holy of Holies, right, into this most holy place, was by way of lot. And so every year they would cast lots. And when they would cast lots, they would say, well, this year it's Jose, and that year it's Jeff. Well, this year in particular, when we're going to see in Scripture, it was Zechariah. And the scripture tells us that Zechariah was in this most holy place, burning incense and praying to the Lord when all of a sudden an angel shows up and speaks to him. What's interesting about this is that the scripture says that he was gripped with fear. In other words, he was terrorized from within. He wasn't just afraid. He was seized with fear. And I want us to consider why that would happen. You see, the angel brought a message to Zechariah, and the message was this. He said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. That indicates something to us. Zechariah had been praying about something. He had been seeking God for something. And according to the scripture, what we see is we, we discover what it was that he was praying about. So the angel says to him, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Elizabeth, your wife, will give birth to a son. Zechariah had been praying about a son. But you see, the issue was they were of old age. They were beyond the years of conception. It wasn't humanly possible. And yet, this angel brings them a message of hope. You see, in those days, and I'll dig more into this later on, in those days, to not have a child was frowned upon. It was a shame upon people's lives to be childless because it, many considered it to be that you were cursed by God. And so Zechariah had been praying about this. This angel gives him this message, but this child was not just to be any child. This child had a special purpose for his life. The angel says to him that your child's name, your son's name will be John. And John will turn many in Israel back to God. This was the one that the Old Testament prophesied would be the forerunner. He would come before Jesus and he would introduce the message that the kingdom of God is now at hand. The Messiah has now come to the earth. And so John was a gift to Zechariah, but John was also a gift to the world. And you would think, receiving a message like that, that you would be filled with joy, that he would rejoice. In fact, the scripture says that the angel told him, listen, this son of yours will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in the womb. But Zechariah's response wasn't one of joy. Let's see what we can learn from his life. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 18, says that Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? How can I be sure of this? How do I know that this is true? He says, I'm an old man. And my wife is well along in years. Check this out. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you, watch this, to tell you good news. I'm bringing you real good news. 
Verse 20 goes on to say, and now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day that this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Let's consider what the scripture is showing us here. I want you to join me in imagining this for a second. Put yourself in Zechariah's shoes. How would you respond to the message? How would you respond to the sight of this angel bringing you this divine message from God that is good news? Now, I know that many of us are of the opinion, oh, I would rejoice, I would believe it. Yes, I, I would receive it, I would do it, I would be glad. But I submit to you that we're not much different than Zechariah. Let me tell you why. Because we all seek proof before we believe. Isn't that true? We have a tendency to seek proof before we believe. You know what else we have a tendency of? Not only do we seek proof for what we believe, we trust our experience before we believe. We look backwards and say, is there any way? And we do this very quickly in our mind. We look back and we go, do I have any context in my mind that gives me information for a similar situation such as the one that I'm facing now? And what we do oftentimes is that we trust our experience more than we do God. You know what else we have a tendency to do? We have a tendency to talk ourselves out of what God can do because we convince ourselves that we can't. We believe that we can't. We take a pessimistic approach to the plan of God. We shun the promises of God and instead believe the lies that we tell ourselves. You know, it's for this reason that I want to propose to you that the worst thing, the only thing worse than doubting God, listen closely, is finding yourself in a place where you now look back and you wish you hadn't. You've already burnt the bridges, you've already doubted God, you've already struggled, you've already made all the mistakes, and now you're looking back and you're saying to yourself, if only I had stayed in that place of faith and trusted God. If only I had kept on the path that I started upon. That is the worst place to be in, friend. But thank God that we have a God who's a redeeming God. I said, thank God we have a God who's a redeeming God, a God who sees us at our worst and still works for our best. And so it's for this reason that it's important that we look to God's word and we consider what it teaches us so that we can stop robbing ourselves, friend. You know, I got a message for you today. Don't be a Grinch. Literally, like, don't be a Grinch. Stop robbing yourself of the gift of Christ. Stop robbing yourself of the plan that God has for your life. Stop getting in the way. And so if we're going to go from stealing to receiving, to truly appreciating what God has for us, I want to give you just three things to consider. But not simply consider, not simply think about. Because it's no good to think about something if we don't act on it. And the truth in God's word is no good unless we do something with it. And so as we're hearing these points that I want to share with you from the scriptures, I want you to be real with yourself. Be real before God and ask yourself this question. Talk to God about this. God, what are you actually telling me to do? God, where am I actually at? What are you illuminating to me in my life that I have been oblivious to, that I have been 
negligent to that I've outright just disregarded. Because I, try, I, 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 I encourage you to, to, to know this, that God wants to speak directly to you today. So the first point that I'm going to give you for reflection and application is that you are worth more to God than you know. I'm going to say that again. You are worth more to God than you know. If you believe that, let's personalize that. Say this with me. I am, I am worth, more to God worth more to God than I know. Let him tell somebody right now, you are worth more to God than you, than you know. Listen, the question is this. It's easy to say it, but do you actually believe it? Do you actually believe it? Do we actually believe that? See, Zechariah almost missed out on his miracle because he based what God wanted to do on the value that he ascribed to himself. Here where I'm coming from with this. The angel Gabriel who stands in the presence of God continually shows up. And he says to him, I bring you a message from God. And the message is that God loves you and God favors you. God is, has answered your prayer and your wife will give birth to a son. And watch what Zechariah does. Come on, man! Really? How am I supposed to be sure that this is the truth? You mean to tell me that this old bag of bones, right? Hey, by the way, if you haven't checked God, things ain't working the way they used to. She's too old. I'm too old. Not going to happen. How is this possible? You know what he was saying? We're not good enough. We don't qualify. Watch this. We're of no use to God's plan for our own lives. And I would submit to you that if we're to receive anything from God, we must understand that God wants us to receive it, that we're worth receiving the truth, the blessing, the anointing of God, the direction of God, the plans of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 puts it this way, but we have this, what? Treasure. Come on, about three of you got that. Say this with me, but we have this, what? Treasure. And watch this, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So I want, let's keep that up there for a moment. I want you to consider what the scripture is saying here. It's saying that you have greater power in you than you know. It's saying that we have more in us that there's more to our lives, there's more to who we are than what we know. And the reason why we often don't know is because we look at ourselves as jars of clay instead of treasure. Let me ask you a question. If you were really thirsty, how many of you would buy this bottle of water to drink some water? How many of you would buy the bottle of water, right? You would, maybe not this one, maybe a full one. But you get my point, right? And I would submit to you that you're wrong in your thinking. Because you would not buy the bottle. You would buy the water in the bottle. See, what we're after is what's in the bottle, in the jar, not the shell. And what the scripture is revealing to us is that we have this treasure in jars of clay. But oftentimes what we do is we focus on the shell. 
We focus on what we see. We focus on what we don't like. We focus on what we've been through. We focus on what we've been told. We focus on what people tell us about ourselves that we come to believe. We focus on what media says and everything else. And God says, no, 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 no. The treasures, not the outside. What's valuable about you is what's in the inside. It's who I created you to be, right? And so it's when we begin to understand our value that we then can pour out what's most valuable in our own lives. It's a good time for me to take a sip, by the way. We can enjoy the contents, right? Ephesians 2.10 gives us a brand new name. You have a new identity. Listen to what Ephesians 2.10 says. For we are God's masterpiece. Masterpiece. Go ahead and tell three people, hey, masterpiece. Listen. That's not my opinion. That's the word of God. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. Watch this. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Before you saw the goodness in you, God saw something in you worth redeeming. God loved you at your worst because he believes the best about your life, about his plans for our lives. It's for that reason that God calls us a treasure. God calls us his masterpiece. God says, you're new. So why is it then that we look at ourselves as old? Why is it that we devalue ourselves? Ask yourself this question, honestly. Consider this for yourself. Don't tell on yourself, but consider this. this between you and God. Is your opinion that you hold of yourself so high that if somehow we could connect a plug to your brain so that we can broadcast it for everyone to hear, is it so good that you have no problem with people hearing it? I want you to, I want you to wrestle with that thought for a moment. Because right now what we have is a moment of transparency. Of truth. And see, when we begin to see the truth and then we know the truth of God's word, that we are a masterpiece, that we are a treasure, then the scripture says, when you know the truth, you shall be free. There's freedom in that. I'm reminded of an uh, old Chinese parable I once heard. I've probably shared it here at some point. Of a farmer who would take the same journey, he would take the same walk every day, and he would carry two pots with him. And both pots contained water. He would go get water to bring to his farm. And these pots, one of them was beautiful. I mean, it was large and beautiful. It was perfect. It had, you know, all this ornate, you know, uh, art on it and all that. And the other one was an old crack pot. And the, the beautiful big new pot would boast daily, oh, look how beautiful I am. Look how full I am. Look at all that I can do with the contents that have been poured into me. While the other pot, the cracked pot, the old pot, 
would complain. It would be downcast. It would say, oh, I, I'm no good. I have all these cracks. I can't retain what I'm created to, uh, to, to contain within me. I'm constantly leaking along the way. And so one day in particular, this old pot was really down on itself. And the farmer, the master farmer says, why are you doubting yourself, old pot? Why are you down on yourself, cracked pot? And the cracked pot says, master, I fail you daily. I fail you often. No matter how much water I am poured, no matter how much is poured into me, I'm always leaking it out. I can never fulfill what you intend for, for me. And the master farmer says, oh, crackpot. <laughs> Pun intended. You're crazy. You're not getting this. He says to the, to the old pot, he says, you don't realize your worth. You don't see your value. Look at your side of the road. And look at the other side of the road. What do you see? The parable says that the old crackpot says to the master, Master farmer, I see flowers. I see buds beginning to break out and bloom. And he says, oh, you little old pot, don't you realize that daily through the cracks that exist within you, you water the road around you. Friends, let me tell you something. Let me give you some truth here. Let me give you some truth. The scripture says that we are jars of clay that contain treasure. And if you consider what 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7, if we could put that back up, what you'll see is that this all-surpassing power in us is from God. It's not from us. Why do I share that with you? Because God uses our cracks to display that we are actually his masterpiece. To use our lives. And so why are we focusing on our weaknesses when the scripture says that when we are weak, then we are strong? When the scripture tells us that God chooses the foolish things, the base things is what the Greek says, the, the, the most simple things, those that are overlooked by everyone. He chooses the foolish things to confound the wise. <laughs> Friend, you're worth more than you know. And because you're worth more than you know, listen closely. You qualify for everything that God has for your life. That's good news. Amen? Amen? The second point that I want to leave you with here is that the best way to see what God says is to stop saying what you see. The best way to see what God says is to stop saying what you see. Let me tell you what I'm talking about here. Zechariah was so focused on what he saw in himself and his wife that he did not realize what he was doing by what he was saying. He was killing the promise. Think about this. Why did the angel shut his mouth until the birth of John? Why would the angel do that? Do you know that the scripture tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue? 
Now, what's the power of the tongue? What is the power in the tongue? The power in the tongue is if you speak truth, you open the door for truth to work. But if you speak lies, if you speak that which is contrary to God's plan and his promises and his purposes revealed through his word and by his spirit, if we speak lies, if we contradict it, then what we also do is release power that kills. And so, friend, our words are powerful. You know, science proves that children in the womb, while they're in the womb, that words have an impact on them. The sounds that they hear impact them. Neural pathways are developed while in the womb that orient them to people, to surroundings, to circumstances. It paves the way while they're still in the womb. So don't believe these crackpots that tell you that there's no life in that stomach. Oh, there's life there. There's life. There's life worth keeping. Anyway, let me get back to the text. Just saying. But I want you to think about this. These words have impact. So much so that when a child is born, they've never seen their parent, but at the sound of their voice, they already know where they're safe and whom they belong to. Listen to what Jesus had to say about our words. Matthew 12, verse 36 Going on to verse 37, he says, But I say to you that every idle word that men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Now listen to what Jesus is actually saying here. When he talks about idle words, he's talking about words that are void of life. And the reason why they are void of life is because these words do not contain truth. And what the scripture is telling us is that in that day, the Lord is going to say, every single word that you spoke that was contrary to the truth, there's going to have to be an account for that. Why? Because our words were created. They were given to us. The ability to speak was given to us as a gift to speak life. To speak life. Husband, how are you talking in your home? Wife, how are you speaking about your husband? What are you saying about your children? What are you saying about your circumstances? What are you saying about your future? What are you saying about yourself? See, with our words, we can either kill or build. We can either kill or build. It goes on to say in verse 37, for by your words you will be justified. That word justified there in the Greek speaks of being set free, being pronounced not guilty, and therefore you are free. But also by your words you will be condemned. And that word condemned there speaks of being found guilty and therefore being in prison. You know what's the worst prison to be in? The one that you have the key to. And oftentimes we lock ourselves up by what we say. We kill what God wants to do simply by what we say. And so make sure, we have to make sure that our words are not idle. That they are not void, that they are not empty and lacking truth. 
And how do we ensure that our words are not void of truth? Well, for one, we have to first know the truth. And friends, can I, can I submit to you? I'm so glad you're here. And for those of you online, I'm so glad you're tuning in. But the reality is this, that you can't go based on my words. This is secondhand. We have to get the word of God into our lives and our hearts and our minds for ourselves. And once you begin to fill yourself with the truth, that truth begins to replace the lies. It begins to empower you in such a way that you are now opening doors in partnership with God. And you are now walking as one who has been justified. You understand you are not guilty. You understand that sin cannot have a hold on your life because Jesus paid too high a price. You understand that while things may look bad, you have a God that's working all things out for your good. That you're not done. That God is working on your behalf. When you know the truth, then the scripture says that the truth sets you free. But watch this. The truth sets you free when you open the door by speaking it. The last point that I want to leave you here for reflection and application is that we cannot get so focused on what we don't have. Listen. That you become blind to what you do have. Don't become so focused on what you don't have. That you become blind to what you do have. As I said earlier, to be old and childless in Zechariah's day was a great shame. It was cause for ridicule by many. In those days, to be childless, the train of thought, the belief was that if you didn't have a child, you were cursed by God. There was something that a family member or you have done wrong that God has withheld children from you. And Elizabeth was barren. And Zechariah, while being a high priest, this great man of God, he carried this stain in his life. Yeah, there's the high priest. And I don't know how high he's living, man. He's got no kids. There's something wrong with him. It was like living with a death sentence. Living while dying. It makes sense then that Zechariah found it hard to believe the promise was real. Since after all, they were beyond the age of childbearing. They were beyond the possibility of seeing a child come to them, to birthing a child. But friends, if there's one thing that I think many of us know about God is this, that God is a specialist when it comes to impossible. I said God is a specialist when it comes to impossible. Listen closely. Listen closely. You see, Zechariah, while he had no children, he was blind to what he did have. God sends him a message. And he says, I've got good news for you, Zechariah. You're not done. You're not cursed. You're not forgotten. 
you're not disqualified. Zechariah, there's nothing wrong with you. Zechariah, I'm giving you a promise. What you've been praying for, I heard you. What you've been longing for, it's my desire to give you this good gift. What you've longed for, I want to fulfill. This day, Zechariah, know this. You will conceive a child. You and your wife. And what you call impossible, I make possible. Above all the promise and the purpose that God was giving Zechariah, Zechariah had God. And let me remind you, friend, that you're no different than Zechariah. None of us are. Why? Because God is with you. Because God loves you. Because he sees you. Because he hears your cry. He sees the turmoil in your heart. He's not deterred by your fear. He's not offended by your doubt. No, in fact, he comes to men in the form of a man. And he gives it all. He gave it all. Why? Because he loves you. Because you're worth it. And oftentimes, we forget that. We forget the truth. That God is still the God who promised, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I am always with you. To the very end, I'm with you. I have a plan and a purpose for your life. I have hope and a future ahead of you. I'm your healer. I'm your provider. I'm your protection. I'm your peace. I'm your God. Sometimes we forget that. We focus on what we don't have. We focus on what we think we need as opposed to the God that we need. The Apostle Paul was a man who understood what he had. The scriptures record that there comes a time where the Apostle Paul writes, he says, I have run my race. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've gotten to the place where I fulfilled what God created me for. The good works that he destined long ago. But Philippians chapter 4 gives us indication as to what it took to get there. It was something that Paul knew that we would be wise to know for ourselves. Philippians 4 starting at verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. 
He goes on to say, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Watch what he says. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things, all this, through him, Christ, who gives me strength. The words of the Apostle Paul imply a powerful truth. They reveal to us a reality that we often miss because we're focused on what we think we don't have. We're complaining about what we think we've lost. We're looking in the wrong direction. The Apostle Paul says, I know what it is to live full in life. To rejoice no matter the circumstance. You know what that looks like in a marriage? I see the best in you, wife. I see the best in you, husband, even when you're at your worst. I speak the best about you even when I see the worst in you. I prefer and believe in what God can do as opposed to what I want. And thus, I will rejoice and I will be content. Why? Because I know this. I have God. And because I have God, I can walk through anything knowing that he's faithful to bring me through and I will see the promise come to pass. Friend, as we stand today and come to a close, I want to propose a question to you. What is God saying to you? What is God speaking to your heart right now? What is he bringing to light? What is he showing you? I'll tell you what he's showing you. Because I see it too, because he's showing it to me too. I dare say that we've stolen too much from our own lives. I dare say that we blame the devil a lot more than we should. Because a lot of the loss that we've endured in our lives, while he's introduced the lie, it takes us to take the lie and believe it. And when we believe it, we then give it power and then we act upon it. So stop blaming the devil. And let's be honest. I've been a Grinch at times. I know I have. I can tell you that for sure. But here's what we have today. God says, you don't have to live this way anymore. I said, you don't have to live this way anymore. I've got better for you. And it starts with realizing that the best gift that we could ever receive is the one that we already have. It's Christ. Let's stop trying to replace Christ. 
with things that really add no value to our lives. Let's get real with God and open our hearts. Let's receive the greatest gift of all. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.